Black Wrench Nation, hanging out with you guys from the East Valley Institute of Technology, where, man, we're just honored with Mr. Greg uh, Ovis at GeezUp.com. Welcome back, Greg. Hey, glad to be here. We missed last week. We had we had to take vacation. We're human beings. It got hot, and family said, we got to leave town. Did you have a good time? We did. We did. But as we always do before we get started, the Budos Band, some trumpets, baby. I remind you guys, get on to WrenchNation.tv if you missed. I know a lot of you are busy. Back to school, back to work. Although some of you are living behind your laptop. We've heard from you. You sneak in at a little Wrench Nation. You'll miss the bits and pieces of the show. Get on to the website, WrenchNation.tv. Uh, a slew of great guests. Uh, big shout out to Brother JD and his lovely. Greg, they just celebrated 25, 26. Wow, that's a long run. Years. Good for them. Forgive me, but it's at least a... See, I always said, people, you know this, uh, beyond 25 years is not a marriage. It's a syndication. <laughs> At least that keeps me sane with it. So if you're new to the show, uh, Automotive Lifestyle, we get car tips. We're going to talk about that as well. But primarily, uh, we're honored to do this show almost, uh, well, what is 240 shows out of the East Valley Institute of Technology. Of course, Greg Ovist uh, with G's Up. Let the people know, Greg, what's your forte? Automotive, you're passionate, but what do you, what do, you do? Forte is uh, brokering cars if you're looking for a classic car you're trying to sell one that's my forte um doesn't matter the dollar amount we're going to help you get the right car help you move and it's the right needed car. i mean yeah. how many cars do i get in the garage where that were they're not often but once in a while i get a i get a barrett jackson buy yep not that great yeah and some people they have high dollar cars and they're intimidated to introduce them to the market yes that's the, on the other it. side of it yeah and we're going to talk more about yeah. that but uh, if you're interested, uh, G's up, uh, G-E-E-Z-U-P.com. Yes, sir. Uh, you can reach out to Greg. I want to mention uh, the EBIT Expo uh, family, all my parents out there, whether you've got kids interested in automotive, collision, body, fire, police, nursing, skilled trades is where it's at. And, of course, the EBIT Expo that's coming up uh, in January, latter part of January. Saturday, January 29th. It's an early announcement, but you guys lose your mind over the holidays. You just don't remember. Yeah, you have to save the date. We're going to save that date, and there's going to be food, drink, and a whole foray of goodness. You get to tour the campus. You've got a son or daughter that's interested. And and, then we're not saying they have to become mechanics or technicians or body people, collision people, but it could be a nice little backup. And EBIT is the authority. They rank nationally. Uh, you know, the instructors here at EBIT do an amazing job. Uh, I want to bring this up. Greg, I have to do this before we talk about some classic car. Uh, but first, this has to deal with a big recall. Stephen Cox is our special guest, Greg. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. I'm excited to have him on finally. Unbelievable, man. He's the versatility. He's like uh, Stretch Armstrong behind the wheel. The guy races in so many different circuits. Yep. Uh, an accomplished driver uh, scoring race wins, championships, and top finishes in, well, Road coursing, road course racing events, Yep, which is a lot of fun. And this weekend I heard that he has a race he's driving in that he's calling the grassroots of racing this weekend. So Grass, We all love grassroots. We love it. We, we don't need to get it. technical. Grassroots. Nope. That's great. what we're talking about. But uh, Stephen Cox brings a talented versatility of racing discipline 
and sportsmanship behind the wheel. He's going to join us. I want you guys to hang tight for that. I did want to announce, this is like fresh off the presses like a few hours ago. It's a bit disappointing. Always. Actually, recalls in general, Greg, disappointing. Yeah, they're never fun. Never fun. I mean, I have people come in the garage. We will check for recalls. We're doing our homework before we, or even doing an x-ray. We want to check engine light. We want to make sure, like I had a car in today, which uh, 2018 Chevy Cruze, 22,000 miles, has the new Freon, very expensive. That's the 1234, and he's got warm air. This Ah. is a baby, low mileage. So before we dive in, so you know, and a good shop will do this, they'll check technical service bulletins, and they'll check recalls. Right. Because the last thing you want to do is fix money, like have money out of your pocket flowing to fix something. And, oh, my gosh, that could have been under right. warranty. Right. So we do that. GM, unfortunately, and we said this on the show, Greg, uh, electric vehicles, new technology, that's, you know, there's, there's going to be some hiccups. Well, GM's got a $1.8 billion recall. Oh, man. Got a feel for GM for 142,000 bolts, Chevy bolts. That uh, has to hurt. It does. I mean, they're, they're calling it out. Uh, specifically, if you own a Chevy Bolt, there's there's quite a few in there. Uh, there is risk of battery fires, and they warned you, Chevy Bolt owner, not to park them in the garage. Mm. Uh, it's found charging uh, electric car to be more than a little nerve-wracking for a lot of people, as quoted. Uh, here's another quote. It's really kind of disturbing knowing that right below me is a car that could catch fire. That's terrible. And imagine being in your garage and catching your house on fire. That's, That's not a good selfie on Instagram. I don't think there's all. an Instagram hashtag. Fire is not friendly. EV car burnt down hashtag or something. <laughs> um, but it's a $1.8 billion recall. I want you to be aware. And remember, you can get onto NHTSA.gov for all recalls, especially you guys buying vehicles right now. Some of you want to treat yourselves. You're maybe buying a low-mileage vehicle as the holidays come up. Check recalls. Make sure the recalls have been yeah, performed. smart move. Smart yeah, move. so check that out. What's shaking for uh, news, uh, Greg, in the Antiquity Classic situation? Oh, man. I, I can't even explain the excitement. You're oh. always excited. You love Yeah, but this, you... one's, this one's a little different. What'd We're... you do this weekend? we got to share with the folks. Well, though. I was over in L.A. at the Peterson Museum. Nice. It was a special event that I was invited to with Magnus Walker and Fireball and Ken Vela. Had them all on the show. Great and people. And Tommy from Safari. Oh, I mean, it was sort just, of. It was a great weekend. Yeah. Uh, but during my visit there, I came across a gentleman that had these cars for sale. And when I went into the back of his shop warehouse, it was just was unbelievable. You didn't expect it? No. Was it like a fishing supply storefront and in the back was a 10,000 no square foot? I w- you would have never even stopped at this building. Isn't that where a lot of right great stuff it. comes from? Well, you, you don't know. It's it like was hidden. all overgrown out front, fencing. How did you find this? Driving by and also through a mutual contact that pointed me that direction. And I'm glad I followed that direction. But I go in there and there's so many rooms. Like this, The, the rooms just kept getting bigger, bigger. Rooms of cars. Rooms of cars. It started small, like a closet, oh, little yeah. Volkswagen. Oh, and then yeah. bam, here's 10 and Camaros. There was Mercedes-Benz there, 1953s, all the way to 1965s. The, wow. the 230SL convertibles, the, the 190SLs. And then it went into the Jaguars, which the uh, XKEs, convertible hardtops, just just kept going on. An eclectic array and very odd to find. Did you expect it? No, didn't expect it all. They don't go into another room. There's Porsches, 911s, 911Ss. What do they they call those? So instead of a scream slash escape room, 
You had car heaven rules. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't even take as many pictures as I wanted to. There was just so much. So yeah. if anyone's looking for a older bands, an older Jag, an older Porsche, you need to call me because I know where they're so at. So give us history. So here's a, here's an individual that's got these this collection. What's the backstory? I mean, did you get well, any? Some of them he has for sale on his own, and he does offer them to the public. Mm. But this back lot scenario, uh, that's all like down low. He, I mean, it's. Do you He's find, I mean, for, there's a lot of folks looking. I mean, obviously, the, the vintage market is sky high. It's, it's People are really splurging on that. Um, and do you find that people don't know about the back room? What I'm aiming at is that some people will be shopping. They see an ad or whatever. But how do you get to this back room? I mean, it's, Well, it's I a, think the reason he allowed... Uh, a visit in the back rooms is because of just who I was representing. I was going to say, this was G's up in yeah. the house. <laughs> he, he was, I don't know if he would have given everyone that same tour and that same access. So yeah, you get was, all the, it was impressive, but that's the juice. Like you, yeah. you got, you and, got the connection. And then I found another gentleman that has a 1935 Duesenberg. Oh my gosh. And that's a boat tail. It's an SJ model. Um, just amazing cards, long, big, bulky, very popular, very rare. Yeah. And uh, that's another vehicle I was excited to come across. 35 Duesenberg. Um, Big, bulky, gorgeous car. Well, there was one that was sold, formerly owned by the talented, great, late Gary Cooper. Oh, wow. Sold for $22 million. I believe it. Over the weekend at Gooding. I think this is recent news. But oh, the I Duesenberg, I mean, Jay Leno's got, he's, he's got, I think, a few. Yeah, I'm not Duesen. sure of the quantity, but I know he's uh, pride, you know, he has yeah. pride in owning a couple of them. Oh, yeah, no. Yo, Jay's in the pit. He's oh, yeah. working on his cars. No, he's I'm not. Stopped. I don't think he's. I mean, he's got some specialists that may come in. Yeah, but no, that's he, what he makes, loves the hands-on on his own cars. Yeah, he's a, he's a tinker. Yeah, I want to give a big shout out. We had Miss Lisa Gates come in with her Mini Cooper, um, and she has her wonderful husband, who's an accountant, but prides himself on being a weekend warrior mechanic. Shout out to William Gates. Thanks for stopping by, Lisa. And if you need a shout-out, you can always stop by the garage. Just give us a call. You don't need to spend money with us. Um, I did want to bring up our quick tip, Wrench Nation Automotive quick tip. I'm seeing this, people, and I don't know if I mentioned this before. You want to replace the struts. Your vehicle's jouncy-bouncy. You go get a strut cartridge. Don't forget the lonely strut mount. If you reuse an aged strut mount with a new strut cartridge, you will have noises. There's just no doubt about it. So quick tip. Get the struts done. Typically, sixty to eighty thousand miles. They've gone up and down. The same with the shocks. Now, shocks don't have the strut mounts. Shocks are a different story. But that vehicle's gone up and down millions of times with those struts. So, sixty to eighty thousand. And if you are inclined to do that on your own, don't forget that lonely strut mount. You get. You ever get a clickety clackety from struts and shocks? Clickety clackety. Absolutely, I've gotten them through the years. That's the symptom. You'll get a, you'll get like a little clickety clackety situation. Um, do we? I thought we had a caller on the line. They dipped out. Okay, call us back. You can call us. It's all good. Uh, we are honored to have Stephen Cox. Uh, Stephen is the CEO of uh, SOP with Motorsports Television. We're going to go back into his career, how he started with racing um eclectic by way of uh different circuits and just kind of get a general idea and also greg you're doing some uh you're supporting the race team there yeah he uh he runs a truck series and uh he's allowed me the opportunity to uh sponsor a couple of his races nice so i'm excited to be a part of that where's uh 
primarily through the country. Where's the truck series? Uh, well, it was supposed to be this weekend in Indy, um, but I think it got postponed, and now he's uh, running another race Yeah. Uh, this weekend. All right, I got one more bit of news here before we break off here. Ram, uh, a lot of you are looking at trucks. Maybe not. Trucks are expensive now. I get more people, like, with 150,000-mile F-150 that needs work. They're going to put the money into it. Trucks right. have gotten expensive. Yeah. Trucks are now, I mean... I mean, some expensive. Like, if they're giving you an eight-year mortgage <laughs> loan on a car, a truck payment... Yeah, that's crazy. It's out I of still hand. have my 08 F-150. I remember buying trucks, when, you know, years ago when I was younger. You know, 10, 15 grand. You had a top-of-the-line truck. Yeah. No, I keep mine, but uh, we're seeing that in the garage. I, I just want to put out there, I know a lot of you, well, I'm a Ford fan for whatever reason, Dodge, so on. But... uh. J.D. Power just ranked Dodge second uh, for uh, quality. Let me get this right. Followed by Lexus and Mitsubishi. Lexus not a truck. Mitsubishi not a truck. But no. Dodge, I like the Dodge Ram truck. I think it's a solid truck. And uh, Ram topped the industry in J.D. Power initial quality study for the first time. Uh, it landed in the number two spot after last year becoming the first domestic brand to lead the rank. Now, some would say, this is my theory on Dodge. I'm sorry, all you Chrysler car fans, you're in my garage. We're fixing them. That's the straight and skinny. I think, I think Dodge separated from that <laughs> and became its own entity of Ram, right? Oh, yeah. It, it was Dodge Ram. Now it's Ram. Yeah, and they, I, mean, I'm, I could be, I'm, maybe no, I'm being you're facetious. you're right. I was kind of catching up to you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it says here what it boils down to, there's a lot of hard work putting it. You know, this is gen- generic design engineering terms. But what do you guys think? You, you, you happy with your Dodge Ram? Well, I'm not a Dodge fan. No, but... I'm a Ford fan, and I, I'm a fan. Oh, you still got why that am Ford? I a fan? Ask a mechanic why he's a fan of what he drives. And he'll tell you it's not in the garage. So when people come in in the garage, in fact, I give you this tip. If you are buying a used vehicle, you're going to get it inspected before you buy it. We talk about that all the time. But if you ask the advice of a mechanic, he's going to tell you what cars are basically True. keeping him in business. True. Can I say that? That's a valid Most point. Most good mechanics. Yeah. Now, you may not want to hear this. Bree, you've got your Toyota. It's been around since 1970. you got an old Toyota on the road. You put a new engine. But you need to know what's in the garage. And then also, uh, for a lot of my college students... Mom and dad, please do not buy the used Audi for your young <laughs> college student. Because then you come to me, and, and those Audis, European cars in general, which... Yeah, they're not friendly to, the, not, to well, the used car market. To the wallet. Are they yeah. soft? Are they? Yeah, I, that's a good question. They're soft, but it's because of the maintenance and what it takes. I mean, they break down easily. They don't last long after a certain amount of miles. All right, so here's another tip before... I gotta, I'm going to spit this out because it's... <laughs> you it's, have to now. So now you're, now you're looking at a vehicle... And you're saying, wow, okay, this has got 80,000, 90,000. All right. As opposed to the vehicle with 150,000. Here's the psychology. I drive that 80 to 90,000 mile vehicle. I got to get it serviced. It's close yep. to the 100,000 mile. I go to the mechanic. He says, you need $3,000. <laughs> now, what do I do? That sounds like one of those old jets. I want to trade it in. Now, let's jump up 130 to 150,000 mile vehicle. Can you get to 130, 150K without taking care of the vehicle? No, you can't. No. So don't be afraid of the 130, 150,000 mile vehicles. Now, of course, you're going to have it inspected. And not every case, there are exceptions. 
But remember, 80 to 100K, somebody was told some bad news, <laughs> and they want to sell it. Right. And that may be passed on. So there's your little tip. We got Stephen Cox, a talented driver behind the wheel, and just a champ, by the way, of the industry. We're honored to have Stephen. Stay tuned, Wrench Nation. I want my mileage back. Of course you want your mileage back. And all the extra money you've spent feeding an engine gunked up with carbon. Your car needs its fuel system cleaned, and it needs it now. You need BG44K. It's the one dealerships use the most. In fact, they use BG44K almost 3 to 1 over any other fuel system cleaner made. To find a shop near you, go to BGFindAShop.com. That's BGFindAShop.com. I got my mileage back. BG, BG. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time. The quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients, and they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counter folks, a complete line of original equipment, parts that our customers deserve. If you're an installer, Get on to partsauthority.com. Check locations nationally near you, partsauthority.com. Support for Wrench Nation Car Talk, the smart choice for auto parts, Pronto National Association. Pronto is committed to the independent automotive aftermarket and demonstrates leadership within the automotive industry. Pronto Association is made up of nearly 100 member auto park distributors. Visit pronto-net.com. Automotive technical training, parts lineup, and representation of the automotive member community. Pronto-net.com. Funding for Wrench Nation Car Talk brought to you by Vision Collision, a full-service auto body repair, collision repair, and automotive paint facility in Tempe, Arizona, serving all of greater Phoenix. Free towing, free estimates, Vision Collision, family owned and operated, 480-248-9049, Vision Collision. Right on, welcome back, uh, Wrench Nation. Uh, get on the website, wrenchnation.tv, catch custom car builder. We had a lot of fun with Larry Grobe, Voodoo Larry Customs. That show is up, episode 235. Another interesting show, uh, all my firefighters, you are familiar with the Hall of Flame Firefighting Museum, Chuck Montgomery and Mark Moorhead, uh, National Historic Fire Foundation. Uh, they were on the show, and they are in our backyard here. So a ton of great shows that you guys can catch up with. And we're honored to have Stephen Cox. He is hanging in the wings. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's an honor. You know, Greg Greg was like, um, he introduced us, and, you know, we've had, we've had you know, NASCAR, NHRA. We've done a ton of drivers, and I, I dug in, and, and Stephen, not just a driver, but business savvy, oh, broad, yeah. broadcasting savvy. Uh, you are across the board on top of it. How did you start off in this industry? A lot of folks are young and up and coming. How did you get started? Who were some of those early year mentors for you? Well, um, I guess everything goes back to uh, to, to my dad. If, if it hadn't been for dad, I would have never gotten behind the wheel of a race car. But he took me to my first race <laughs> when I was like 11 years old. We went to a dirt track in southern Indiana called Paragon Speedway. It's still there. And I can't tell you anything about the racing that day except for one huge memory comes out in my mind that kind of got me started. Uh, they, they, were, uh, they were running uh, uh, sprint cars. And uh, the guy comes out of turn four on the last lap, 
and he gets his wheels tangled while he's leading the race. His car flips over on its top, and he slides across the start-finish line on the on his top. That that got you excited because we got excited. I, well, wait, the guy gets, instead of getting mad and throwing his helmet, he gets out of the car and waves to the crowd. And I thought, <laughs> that is the coolest guy I have ever seen. I've got to do that. And All so- right. You know what I see here? Uh, go to basketball. It's not good enough for slam dunk. you got to slam dunk and break the backboard. That's right. And that's the equivalent. Yeah, there you go. That's the equivalent. So that got you excited, man. It really did, and I started. I mean, you asked about my early mentors. I mean, I liked. Um, I'll tell you who I liked the guys who could drive anything. I had more respect for them than I did, uh, no matter how good they were in a certain discipline. And most drivers today, they specialize. Yeah. They've, like most of the NASCAR guys, they've never driven anything but stock cars. That's how they came mm-hmm. up, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the guys I love are, are uh, Pete Revson and George Fulmer and uh, Parnelli Jones and, of course, AJ. They could drive anything on any given night with no notice, show up at a track they've never seen in a car they've never driven, and still at least perform at some kind of respectable level. And... I guess I have a soft spot in my heart for those guys because that's what I've always had to do. And I'll never be a Foyt or a Fulmer or anybody like that, but I've kind of had to do the same thing just to keep my career going. If if you're not a big name and you don't have a multi-bajillion dollar sponsor, you have to drive and at least do modestly well in whatever you can get yourself in. And so those are the guys I like. <laughs> you know, you made a lot of sense. Uh, one of the things that we bring up, uh, Greg Oviston's studio with G'sUp.com, we bring up the business side. What comes to mind is uh, Blake Alexander uh, driving the head uh, Pronto uh, funny car. He was driving the, uh, the top fuel rail, and he had to bounce. And some of that, and I think you're speaking on this, Stephen. I think I think those fans that are intimate understand the business side of it. But if you're new to racing and you see the switcheroo, you know there's there's reasons for that. You've got to stay active, relevant. And part of what I was so impressed with, Stephen, is you are you're not only versatile on the track and behind the wheel, but you're you're working with Meekum. You're t- yeah. so tell us how important it is. I really want to get to this because uh, we do have some young race teams that check out the show nationally. You're saying versatile. What would be the biggest mistake if Frank got behind the wheel? I had one or two sponsors. I signed for three years, and here comes year three. What what do I need to prepare for in case I may lose support? How do I how do I handle that? So it's not well, last minute. All, every single, I, I got some really, really good advice from a veteran racer many years ago, and he said that all sponsorships are built on prior relationships. And there are, of course, some famous exceptions to that. Uh, and, and if you're Lewis Hamilton, maybe you do have strangers show up at your door begging you to take their check. <laughs> Lewis but Hamilton, most, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but for, for most of us mortals, Everything you do is going to be built on a prior relationship. So build as many relationships as you possibly can with as many people as you possibly can and stay in touch with people. And then don't be afraid to ask. 
just tell people, look, I, look I, I, I'm losing my sponsor. I'm looking for a gig next year. Can I get in your car? And if I do get in your car, do I need to cover the tire bill? I mean, what do I need to do to pull my weight? And uh, every one of those relationships, if you, if you maintain them, they'll come back to serve you well later. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, as I said earlier, we've had several drivers. Uh, one that comes to mind, which was amazing for me personally, because I grew up watching him on, on TV, in the, that was Ari Leindyke. We had Ari at the uh, Fountain Hills uh, car show, the concourse in the hills. One thing that I see, and I'm not knocking other sports, Stephen, Race car drivers are humble cats. I mean, you have to be behind the wheel and be pretty diligent, trained, technical, somewhat aggressive. You got to put that out. But when it comes to both fans, we were just talking about this with Magnus Walker doing the event at Peterson Museum. Magnus, big Porsche aficionado. Kids came up. He's humble. He's right to the kids. You're going to have to wait. Stephen, talk to, talk to us about that, that sort of tribe vibe and culture in racing. Well, uh, the auto racing has a funny way of, of humbling you if uh, if you get out of hand, and it can happen in a split second. Uh, you know, I mean, we were uh, we were leading a race at uh, Jennerstown uh, probably three or four years ago, and I, I man, I drove my heart out. I just I just drove as hard as I possibly could. The car was very good, but it wasn't perfect. But it was very good, and it was the best car out there, and it would run low real well. And, so we get out uh, in, a, in a major event in the Super Cup Stock Car Series in, the, in, in Jennerstown. I mean, they have like 7,000 people in the stands, and they pack them every single night, and the show's on television. And with five laps to go, I take the lead, and I come out of turn two on national television, and for some reason the car just turns around. Oh, and, and everybody's like, well, did you overdrive it? And I'm like, no, look at the clock. I slowed down by two-tenths per lap. So, you know, weird things can happen. And, and I mean, even the car owners uh, coming after me afterwards saying, what happened in the car? I'm like, I, I didn't do anything different. I can't tell you anything. So racing has a way of humbling you if, if you don't keep yourself in check. And it can happen really, really quick in a really big way. And uh, it's, it's kind of like I, you, can, you can a little bit feel for the guys in the NFL right now where uh, they say, no, man, I wouldn't hold him. Well, look, you're covered from 38 cameras from 412 angles, and everybody's going to know. And so, uh, you know, you got to always remember – that if you don't stay humble, racing will humble you. That's a that's a valid point right there. Well, as fans, we're sitting up there. Yeah. We're like, what? What did he do? Was he drinking last night? They don't realize <laughs> there was a disconnect mechanically or on the track for that matter. Right. right. Um, so, Stephen, you got to tell us about this race on Saturday. I heard that uh, you're extremely excited about it. Oh, this is going to be so much fun, guys. <laughs> uh, I have never – I haven't done this in a long, long time. And, and just – you know, for the guys that don't know me, I'm I'm in the middle semi-pro area of racing. It's a big part of my living, but I also do some other things as well. And uh, you know, my my career stalled out, so to speak, like one step b- before IndyCar, right? As I was trying to get into Indy Lights with PDM Racing. That's a different story. But the long st- uh, short of it is, um, I'm going back this weekend to grassroots. I mean, one of the lowest entry levels of of all auto racing. I'm going to be at Mount Lawn Speedway, and I'm running one of those front-wheel drive, four-cylinder compact cars. Love it. Absolutely love it. I know. I know. I've never done this before, ever. I've never done this. And uh, guys were like, well, you know, are you sure you want to do that? I mean, this is not a... 
uh, you know, I mean, in, in Super Cup, you had like a thirty thousand dollars just in the engine of your car, and I was like, I really want to do this because we are losing our short tracks and we're losing our audience, yep. and if we don't support short track racing now, it won't be there to support later. The uh, American short tracks. They are. They encapsulate the history of the American automobile, period. Stephen, I've got to stop you there. We have some folks that are listening. What's the difference? Talk to us a little bit more. Before we cut to break, we're going to bring you on in deeper. Short track, what's the difference? What's so special other than, I mean, we've got the history. For those that may not understand. Well, um, in, in short track racing, the vast majority of short tracks existing in America today were built between 1920 in 1970, they are the history of the American automobile. And the vast majority of the asphalt short tracks, especially in the eastern half of the country, saw all of the greats, the Earnhardts and the Petties. I mean, little Ona Speedway in the middle of frickin' nowhere in West Virginia. <laughs> Petty drove there. Richard Petty the king. And I got to run that track. It's If you want... The history of the American automobile, it is to be found on the quarter and half mile bull rings that dot the landscape in the United States. And we can't forget that. And I, I like the idea that you're, you're keeping that alive. I'm, I'm sure there's a, a whole contingent of professional racers that have that same in mind. I mean, um, we want to talk more about some of the other circuits, um, desert runs and, and, and all of that good stuff. If you're just joining us, we've got... Uh, talented race car driver, amazing individual, painted Ford in the automotive industry as well. Stephen Cox, CEO of Sopwith Motorsports Television. Uh, you guys can check that out, sopwithmotorsports.com. We're going to take a short break. Ranch Nation, stay tuned. One of these days, going to change. One of these days. Bolt-On Technologies, automotive software solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-On Technologies software provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. 52% of the population family are women. We love you ladies, but less than 3% of you women are professional technicians. Our charity partner, Tech Force Foundation, believes if we want to solve this little technician shortage, we need to start talking to 52% of these ladies out in the population. Head on over. If you feel like you can tinker with the best of them, head on over to techforce.org. Thanks for joining us, uh, WrenchNation.tv. If you're new to the show, check us out on Facebook, man. 60, some on thousand of you are hanging. Uh, shame on Frank because I didn't post up uh, our special guest, uh, but we will have uh, oh, post. Man. I know. Slacker. I just, can I be honest with everybody? Go ahead. Mark and Susie are on vacation, so Frank gets to roll 28, garage, uh, 28 cars in the garage solo oh, wow. uh, with his team in the back shop. Stephen, Fox, uh, Stephen Cox, welcome back. Thank you, sir. So it's good to have you back, and I want to remind people, get on a SOP with motorsports.com. Tell us a little before we get into racetrack uh, events in your career. Websites chock full of good stuff. Tell us a little bit more about the business side of what you're doing. You are doing some work. 
with Meekum. Of course, we had Wade Kawasaki, an amazing individual, yep. also works together uh, with Meekum. How's the Meekum gig for you? It has been just 14 years of nonstop fun. Wow. Uh, I mean, just imagine yourself going to the world's biggest car show uh, 15 times a year for over a decade, and they're even kind enough to pay you to show up. And yeah. that is what Meekum Auto Auctions are like. Uh, it is truly the home of the American muscle car. And, you know, in the last decade or so, they've expanded so far beyond that into exotics. Uh, it's just uh, it, you get to see everything. It is it is really like, in fact, most car shows that you would go to locally, you're not going to get to see more than a few hundred cars. But, uh, for instance, in Dallas, coming up a uh, week after next, uh, we're going to be there with a thousand cars. Even if you're not going to buy or sell, just come out. It, it's worth it. Right. So, Steve, I have a question. With all that going on with Meekum and your racing, how do you balance all your TV schedule, your racing schedule? How do you make all that happen? You got a favorite well, drink? Uh, it's, <laughs> it is really in the best interest of the people that I work with. And if you don't mind, I'm going to shout out uh, Stable Brand Fuel Stabilizer, uh, JR Fastener Corporation out of Bensonville, Illinois. They stand behind me. Uh, G's Up Classic and Exotic Car Brokers, Brian Broderick, a big supporter of short track racing. It's not in these guys' best interest for me not to be on Meekum because there's a great deal of uh, promotional synergy that takes place whenever I'm on NBC Sports and I'm talking about uh, stable brand fuel stabilizer and, you know, how it keeps ethanol damage and corrosion out of your motor. They don't want me to miss a Meekum show. And yeah. so they are very accommodating when it comes to, uh, you know, what races that I participate in and what series they want me in. So it, the synergy really works. Nobody wants me to have a conflict. Nobody wants a talented race car driver, ambassador, commentator, right? sitting at home uh, petting Snoopy. You need to be <laughs> out there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? And if you can make a few pennies doing it, the more the better. So yeah, and so, I know, respect that. That's that. kind of the plan. It just uh, if it, it doesn't do any of my sponsors any good for me to miss a television show. No, and you're doing right? great things, inspiring actually quite a few out there. Lynn St. James uh, have worked with Lynn St. James, uh, incredible IndyCar series uh, female, uh, incredible. She's doing so much to pay it forward. We asked her a question, and I, I try to get this uh, in inside a driver's head. At the starting line, you've got the crowd, they're buzzing, you got your team, you're in that, you're behind the wheel. Where does your mind go to get focused, chiseled, focused? What do you do to get knee-deep in that? Okay, that is like the best question ever, because I'm going to tell you something that most people have never thought of. Here is what's in your head. When you go out and you're practicing, if it's a short track, okay, fine, you're going 90 or 100 miles an hour. If you're at Texas World Speedway, you're doing 170. But you're going fast out there. And whenever you practice and qualify, there's almost nobody in the stands. There are very mm. few trailers. There are very few big rigs and haulers that are sitting around everywhere. Most of the banners aren't up yet. And so you're going around at ultra-high speeds with the car that's sliding sideways well into triple digits, and you have these markers in your mind. And as soon as the crowd comes out and the lights come on and the television cameras start rolling, 
all of those markers are gone. You may have seen a pole in your peripheral vision coming out of turn four, and you're thinking, okay, that's a marker in my head. I should have already been flat back on the throttle by now, by this point on the track. That's a marker in your mind. But when the fans fill the stands, you can't see anything. All of the markers change. Everything that you thought you knew about that track is now night and day different. And so whenever I'm out there, I'm trying to remind myself it's a fresh racetrack. I haven't been out here for the last four hours since qualifying ended. Now there's 10,000 people out here watching, and all the things that I've seen in my peripheral vision. I'll tell you what, if you guys, I played basketball all the way through school. If if you've ever played basketball or, or football or a sport like that, and you went to a small gymnasium that had 200 people, and then you went to, like, Boston Gardens, and you're like, wow, well, it's the same court, and the, uh, the, the goal's still 10 feet high, but the depth of perception is completely changed, and that's what you have to have in your head when you go out for a race. Let me ask you, I'm, I'm new. That's, great. I, that's I, a great I, point. I know it is. I mean, that's – but there, there seems to be a struggle, and, and I think we can speak for with all athletes. Actually, all careers. Let's use careers. I'm a new attorney on the job. I know this. I got this. I got my, my degree. I'm the technician. I, I, I've been doing this. I know this. What advice would you have for somebody up and coming that knows what they're doing, but in the limelight and element, they may... It's happened to you, Stephen. I know. When you first started, you had to take yourself to that place. You couldn't listen. How do you manage what is that adrenaline and maybe some of the psychological that's going on, what advice would you have? I mean, how do you take yourself? Or is it just something that naturally happens with more training and running and more, more experience? No, it doesn't naturally happen. Uh, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I still get butterflies whenever I get in a race car. And if you don't, if it becomes so blasé that you no longer have those butterflies and you no longer feel like you're on the very edge – then you're probably not supposed to be in a race car anymore because you need to be at the nth level of focus. What's that and, feel like? What is that like six yeah. G's and an F thirty five? I mean, what does that feel like to you? I mean, we can imagine physically, but mentally, what's that feeling when you're like you're so soaked into this is it? Yeah. I said, it, it's exactly like any other sport. I Again, I played, uh, let's see, I, I was starting point guard. I was uh, the quarterback, and then I moved to wide receiver on our football team. I was a first baseman. Uh, I, I played everything, absolutely every sport that there was all the way through school, and it's the same thing. It's just like being on the basketball court. There are some nights when you couldn't throw the ball in the ocean if you were standing on the bottom. There are other nights when you just can't miss. And you try to figure out what it is, and you're not really sure because you went through the exact same practice routine last week as you did the week before when you were terrible. But for whatever reason, you're just in the zone. And the difference is in auto racing, it's not like basketball where you just have off nights and there's a lid on the basket and you can't make it happen. And it, whereas on other nights, you're really in the zone and you're hitting everything. It's not that way in auto racing. The only difference, mentally, it's the same. But in auto racing, you're always rewarded for being at that level of focus and trying to get the very, very last ounce out of a car. And if your head is any place else, and I have certain routines that I go through that keep my mind from wondering. Um, I can't, let's see, uh, oh, okay, one of them is I can't lay my helmet upside down. 
Oh, so you no you got the little uh, you got the little foot rabbit thingy in your pocket, kind of superstitious. <laughs> so you can't put yeah, the helmet yeah. upside down. What's another one? I can't do it. I and if somebody does it, I have to immediately go over it. And most <laughs> of the crews that I work with, they know by now. Don't put my helmet upside down. Why? But not because it makes any difference, but because I don't have to think about it. Right. It's the same as every race preparation that I've ever done in my career. There's nothing any different, and that allows me to not be distracted. Yeah, here's one for you. Since we're on the, uh, I'm not going to call that strangest. That's not quite the strangest, no. but I just uh, went through the list. So Serena Williams will not change her socks once during a tournament. Wow. She won't. Really? I, guess, I guess tennis players will take a break. Um, <laughs> Michael Jordan always wore his UNC shorts under his NBA shorts. Wow. I did not know that. See, everyone has a little thing. Huh? 82 times a year? That's what I'm saying. Well, somebody, I, wow. well, no, I'm sure he had his personal team, UNC, wash my shorts person. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's odd. I, you think, I mean, that's associated. I just won this race. This happened. I won the second. I won the third. The, all these things. Yeah. I didn't change this. I can't ever do that again. That's the association with sort of these, um, these, again, I, superstitions is not a, a good yeah. word, but sort of. Your groove to make it win. Well, it's, it's a routine. Of it. It's a routine routine for preparation. Right. Yeah. 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 And everybody always wants to know. Well, what's your favorite track? What's your favorite track? Your favorite track's the last one you did well at. Right. And it's always that way because of the exact association that you were just talking about. We just went out. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, to uh, Pikes Peak International Raceway, driving for Stable Brand Fuel Stabilizer, and uh, we were in a Corvette. And went out there last year, never seen the track before in my life. I'd only ever driven the car once. We ran out and uh, led two of the four races and finished on the podium every time and took home a third-place finish. So guess what? That's your new favorite track. It's, it's that association in your head. And as soon as you win someplace else, that's going to be your new favorite. Yeah. All right, all you athletes out there, pro linebacker Brian Urlacher, what does he do? <laughs> he eats two chocolate chip cookies before every game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it works for you, man, that's what you got to do. That's what I say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are a little innocent, but let me ask you this though: what knocks your, what knocks your vibe? Do you have the team in the back? You, maybe you hit a turn the wrong way, and you're recovering. You're still dedicated. How does your team come in to get you back in? Maybe through a headset. I mean, there's a lot of technicals. We know that right. depending on the race circuit. And the team is barking, and, and there's communication. Where's my gas? Where's my RPMs? Maybe there's some engine issues. But how does a team in the background support a race car driver when they know, not machine, but driver is not spot on? What's that scenario well, look like? I'll, I'll, I'll give you two quick examples, and, and that'll answer your question thoroughly. First of all, a few years ago, my dad used to be my spotter, and uh, he was in my ear, and we were in Indianapolis Raceway Park, and I jumped out to an early lead. I started in second place. We jumped out to a lead, and I got about six car lengths out in front of the field about halfway into the race, and dad came over the radio, and he said, slow down. I'm like, we're winning. I'm oh. not, I don't need to slow oh. down. He said, no, listen. He said, no one out there has anything for you. You don't need to drive 100% of this car. You need to drive about 95% of this car. Sit back and relax. There's no one. Listen, you can't see the whole field. I can. There's no one out here who can touch you. So he kind of talked me down off the ledge a little bit of driving the car so hard, and we won the race going away. And then um, 
just two weeks ago at Barberton Speedway in Ohio. I was driving for uh, Dan and Brandon Huff in the CRS Truck Racing Series. Just a wonderful series. If you haven't seen CRS Super Trucks, go check them out. And um, I told them, guys, we've lost our brakes, and the clutch is gone, and first and second gear is gone. I can't drive this car safely out here. And so they said, okay, pull on into the pits. And right as I pulled into the pits, Dan came over the radio, and Joe was there as well. They were both on the radio at the same time, my spotter. And they said, wait, wait, wait. Some guy just pulled off the racetrack. If you'll go back out and score one more lap under green, there you'll you pick up another position. And I said, yeah, okay, I can do that even with no brakes. So we went back out. Well, we went back out, and the brakes came back. And we wow. ended up finishing fourth. And so they, you really have to have the faith that what you can see inside that helmet, you have no peripheral vision, you've got one mirror that's useful and one that's not, and the only thing you can feel is, is a V8 vibrating all around you, and the rest of the world you're blind to, and you have to have that faith in your crew. Lewis Hamilton, he's a talented driver. He's backed up by some great uh, history, sponsorship, amazing team. This is what you're speaking on. Lewis Hamilton... He may have a bit more talent, high-altitude approach, and he can maybe see a little more, but without that team-slash-coach-slash-technical analysis that takes place, that's what you're talking about. Had you not, I mean, lost brakes, I mean, is that where you snapped focus and said, okay, if I lost brakes, I can't stop. Now, hadn't you been yeah. pushed <laughs> and, and high-level strategy like a good coach, right? Third quarter, we're down 30 points. I'm going to kick in strategy and make this team better. They made you better, but you were like, okay, I got no brakes. Is this the truck I saw the front fender torn off of it, Stephen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I couldn't stop in the corners, and uh, there, you know, what you guys said is exactly what happened. I was, I told them, I, I told Dan and Joe on the radio, I said, guys, one of two things going to happen. I'm either going to tear up the truck or I'm going to hurt somebody. I've got to get this thing off the track. If you can't stop, you, you can't, you can't run out there. And so, uh, they're the ones who told me I was already back in the pits. I was driving into the pits. I was off the track and they said, no, no, go back out on the track real quick. Trust me. We'll tell you about it when you get there. <laughs> and so that's how I have We finished fourth. That's awesome. If you guys are joining us late, uh, we've got the talented uh, Stephen Cox. Uh, please get on to uh, SOP, SOP with Motorsports there. Stephen, you've got a blog. Uh, folks can keep up with you. I've, I'm just reading uh, the Barberton Speedway series. Um, you have a production company. Tell us more. May, if folks are listening, what's that all about? Stop with Motorsports Television Productions is at stopwithmotorsports.com, and it's S-O-P-W-I-T-H, just like it sounds. And uh, we specialize in producing television and video for anything with a motor, and it doesn't matter. It's I mean, Obviously, we do a tremendous amount of auto racing. We produce the Best in the Desert series. We took them to Fox Sports and to, uh, to uh, NBC then we took um, a motorcycle show to Discovery, and we've done a lot of different things. But it's not just race cars. It's uh, car shows. And if it has a motor, that's what Stop With Motorsports specializes in producing and making television out of. We're going to get into the future electric cars, electric racing. That is phenomenal. Maybe not as much in the U.S. It's getting there. Europe is all the rage. The National Parts Depot blog that you've got, you have, we got to talk old school, the Mustang. Uh, tell us, uh, here's the title, uh, Greg, Rebuilding My Totally 
not oh, yeah. collectible Mustang Part Seven. You can get that blog, uh, the National Parts Depot yeah. blog. What's up with the Mustang, Stephen? Well, the funny thing is, guys, when I bought this car in 1982, I mean, I was a kid. I was barely able to drive. And um, 82, yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize that the 1980 Mustang was going to be like one of the least valuable Mustangs ever built. And so for all these years, it kind of languished, and it was a four-cylinder. And, uh, you know, it just had no power. The 2.3-liter the four, the four-cylinder had 88 horsepower. That is not a mystery. Nobody. Listen, i got to tell you, nobody paid attention to that one there. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, know. it was like, oh, GT, where's the GT? Yeah. You know, they wanted was... <laughs> big and bad. But tell us, because this sounds pretty interesting on that Fox well, Steven, body. I also want to know who's involved with you on this project as well. Well, uh, here's here's what happened. I hooked up with two of the best people that you could possibly ever have with a Mustang, and time came to my rescue. Now, the early Fox bodies with the four headlamps, especially if they're a notchback coupe, everybody wants those cars. And I i mean, I dated my wife in that car. It's a member of the family. So I just thought I'm never going to sell it. Well, time has come to my rescue. And now it's one of the early foxes that everybody wants. And so I got together with two people who have just been wonderful friends to me. Uh, number one is a uh, national parts depot. They have everything that you can they've had parts i never even heard of for mustangs and i know a lot about mustangs and uh, the guys at national parts depot have really just jumped on board and the latest thing that they've given me is stifler's engineering has come out with a chassis stiffening suspension system that just makes a complete metamorphosis out of your fox body i mean it will never handle the same again my stifler's engineering system just showed up I haven't even gotten it on the car yet, and I'm totally excited about it. And the other people that were really helpful was uh, the guys at McGonagall Engine Performance in Muncie, Indiana. Now, I knew them because they built the engines for my Super Cup stock car teams in uh, about 2012 through 2017 or 18. Well, I went back to um, Dwayne McGonagall, and I told him, I said, look, I, I got this Ford Mustang. I know that you know you don't do street cars. And he goes, yeah, we do. What are you talking about? I said, okay, that's fantastic. And so he sat down and designed a Ford 302 small block that would specifically fit into my four-cylinder early four-eyed Ford uh, Fox Mustang. And it fit like a glove. It runs fantastic. All right, so here we go. We've got to give the people people specifications because right now this 1980 base coupe, base, which you call Blue Thunder, Way back, got a lot of memories, probably sitting up for a little bit. That 407-horsepower McGonagall racing engine, the Tremac T5, and of course I'm reading, I'm cheating, T5 manual transmission, five-lug upgrade with four-wheel disc brakes, 17-inch pony wheels, 373 rear gear, and barely, what makes this exciting, Greg, 2,600 pounds, Yeah, launches, that's like a missile. Steven, you like that one. This one is so much fun. And, and Dwayne, whenever we were sitting down on McGonagall Engine Performance, uh, and he said, you know, tell me about the engine. How, how do you want it to be like? How do you want it to feel? And so I told him, I said, you know, <clears throat> I, I want it to, to stay within the Ford family. I want to stay as a Ford small block. I want it to stay within the Ford lineage. That's true blue Mustang. And he goes, so what kind of horsepower do you want? You know, six, 700 horsepower? <laughs> so right. I said, Dwayne, this thing weighs 2,600 pounds. After I reach Mach 5, what am I going to do with the extra 200 horses? Uh, you know, give me 400 and some horses, and that is more than enough to move this car at mind-numbing velocities. 
And it's turned out that way with the 373 rear gear. So thanks to McGonagall and National Parts Depot, I've got a hot Mustang, and it's getting better by the day. I cannot wait to put the Stifler engineering parts on. All right, well, let's switch gears. You're in open desert, uh, and you're you're doing your thing. That's a whole different league of racing. Yep. More endurance, I imagine. How do you prepare for some of those uh, those race circuits? You drink a lot of water. <laughs> <laughs> you put down a ton of water and a bunch of electrolytes. And uh, you also put on uh, what you've, it just really turns out to be like armor uh, because there's so much in the way of rocks and dirt and chunks that are out in the open desert. And people think that there's like a race course, but you're actually, there. there is technically a course, but you're really racing across the open desert in Nevada and California and Arizona. And you get showered with all this debris. And so... In uh, the Corvette, on a road course, I can lift my visor for a few seconds. You never do that in uh, a desert race. And you have a balaclava that completely covers your nose and your mouth unless you want to breathe about 35 pounds of dirt. And a lot of us even have used, and I say us, but I'm actually not in desert racing anymore. I was in uh, the uh, 20. Eight through twenty, the two thousand eight through uh, two thousand eleven, I ran three or four years, and a lot of guys will use chest protectors and heavy duty gloves um, because you just get showered with debris. It's a completely different form of motorsport, and most of the time there is some wheel to wheel racing, but what you're actually judged by to win or lose these races is not track position; it's time because you're started about 100 yards from each other, one car at a time or one truck at a time, and you go over the entire course, which may be three, four, five, six hundred miles in a single day, and at the end of the day, whoever posts the quickest time from their start to their end is the winner. Gotcha. i got to tell you a story. Sergio Marquez, Baja 1000 champ. I was down in uh, Cabo San Lucas. We decided we're going to head over to La Paz, which is across the peninsula. On the way, yeah, yeah. here is... Checos, that's the name of this bar restaurant. And who has Checos? Sergio Marquez. So we go in immediately, we hit it off. I mean, we're drinking, we're talking cars, <laughs> racing. And Sergio's like, I need more cars. I give you land, I trade you land. <laughs> he wanted to do a swap land deal. And he's like, he wants to get back into the bar. It was in his wow. blood. And I would imagine you said, you know, you did a few years, but there are folks racing that are in it. That's that's it. They're running and gunning. And the other thing I would add to that, we didn't cover this, but it can be dangerous, I understand, beyond the mechanical car flips, things like that. But aren't there issues with folks trying to hijack some of these races throughout Mexico? Yeah, that happened and really, really gave kind of a bad name to the Baja for a little while. But uh, they've that if if you're looking for a safe sport, you shouldn't be in racing anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, you probably chose, you try golf or something because of, there are some risks associated with it. And, yes, some of that stuff uh, did occur a few years ago. And I'll tell you what, it, it was even worse on the Dakar Rally, which was once held in North Africa. I was on one of the last Dakar rallies that they held in 2000. And it went from uh, France across to, uh, let's see, uh, so they landed in Tangier. That went, uh, uh, No, 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 I take that back. It started in Dakar and went all the way to Cairo and finished at the base of the Great Pyramids. And we got halfway into Niger in Niamey in uh, 2000, 
and the whole thing was shut down because they had a terrorist army of like 300 men out there threatening to, to attack us. So wow. when you're going cross-country, and whether it's Mexico or Niger or Egypt, I mean, there are people out there who are maybe not the people you want to take home to dinner, and you just got to live with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any training for that sort of no, thing. No, I mean, no, that's no, like, not. <laughs> yeah, that's a quick way to lose focus, no doubt. Uh, before yeah. we wrap this up, and again, folks, Stephen uh, Cox with the SOP, uh, let me say the SopWithMotorsports.com. Yeah. Uh, before we get into this last portion of the segment about electric GT sports cars, big deal in Europe, I think slowly coming to the States, give us your Instagram. I want folks to know where they can catch up with you on social media. Uh, the best way to find me is either on Facebook at uh, Stephen Cox, and I think I'm the only Stephen Cox on there who's an Indianapolis race car driver. Um, and I usually am maxed out on friends, and so my Facebook athletes page is Stephen Cox Sopwith. Run it all together. Stephen Cox, Stephen with a P-H, uh, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-C-O-X, and uh, Sopwith is S-O-P-W-I-T-H. So, that takes you to my fan page, which is kind of the overflow for people that I miss because I really try to talk to people personally on Facebook. And you can also find me on Twitter, though I'm not there quite as much, but I've uh, got a pretty solid following there at Sopwith TV. Great. And we'll make sure to have in our podcast show notes all the links. And, of course, on the website, I will post. It'll be a post-produced post of some of the clips from this show on Ranch Nation Facebook Make sure to catch that. Okay, I got to get to this before we wrap up. We have a few minutes. Um, there's been, you know, some folks would say, oh, snap, car culture going away, electric cars, EVs. We're stopping uh, the ICE movement, internal combustion engines. I don't, I don't believe that. And a lot of our guests who are knee-deep in some of these amazing car builds uh, and uh, fans of racing as well as race car drivers, there is a movement in the electric racing Arena, tell us about what you're doing there in the uh, electric GT sports car arena. Yeah, the FIA uh, put their stamp of approval on what's known as the EGT Championship, which uh, is the electric GT uh, sports car championship uh, based around Teslas. And uh, I want to be very careful and, and point out and be very specific. My disclaimer is the series has not yet taken off. Uh, they've signed me. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. I'm one of their drivers. You can find me on the website, but the series is still trying to get that initial funding to get off the ground. But I think the, uh, the biggest issue with uh, electric racing and electric automobiles is one of honesty. Uh, what we need is uh, the one thing that we don't have uh, is a free market to where customers are free to buy whatever they want to from whoever wants to build it. And as long as the market is uh, corrupted and polluted with every kind of subsidy known to man, you're never really going to know what's truly best. And I, I don't have anything particularly for or against any type of power, whether it's hydrogen or electric or power with nuclear. I don't care what you power it with. I don't particularly have any, any feeling for or against it. But let's be honest about the presentation to the public, and we've got to get away from having governmental agencies constantly pressuring all of the manufacturers to produce only one kind of car that the public is not demanding. So the one thing that the electric car industry needs is honesty 
so that it can make its way on its own and pull its own weight. And I love electric cars. I'm anxious to go uh, racing in the EGT series. But one thing we got to remember is if electric cars were better, they wouldn't need their own series. You just show up in a combustion engine series and you kick everybody's tail. The yeah, it makes sense. Fact, I like it. I got to add something to that. Electric series at all. The fact that they exist at all means that they are not to that level yet. Now they may get there, and they may be the next greatest thing on earth, and that's fine. But we've got to be honest about it. Valid point. Valid point. And the data in the back service bays for automotive technicians, Massachusetts just passed the right to repair law. It was a revamping. I got to add this. All of you technicians listening, if you're in the industry, you need to pay attention. This law was passed so that we have the proper data. When I work on a vehicle with 70 million lines of code, I need data. I need access to data. And I think we need to also be real on that end of it and open because the aftermarket does serve the consumer, and I think you're picking up on some of those points, and I think we'll evolve, uh, Stephen. I think we'll evolve. We'll get there. Uh, consumers are pretty strong, and uh, folks like yourself have some say, too, Mr. Stephen Cox. <laughs> well, you know, what, what I hope people realize is that with the regulatory environment in this country since the early 1970s, you go to a car lot and you think, gee whiz, I'm going to buy the car I want. No, you're not. You're going to buy the car that your masters permit you to purchase. All right, we'll keep that. we've got to get out of that. We've got to break the regulatory environment and get back to an environment where people have the freedom to make their own choices. That's a knee-deep industry consumer show. Uh, Perhaps, are you at SEMA? We're going to SEMA. Maybe we can have that discussion at SEMA. (laughs) We have to do that. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Cox. We'll start a bar fight there. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Hey, it's an honor to have you on uh, to to visit with us, and, and we do look forward to connecting. Please, as we say to everyone, if you're in Arizona, Phoenix area, we're in Chandler. Our house, our garage is your garage. We'd love to meet Stephen Cox. Thank you so much for yeah, joining thanks, Ranch Nation. Thanks so much, Stephen, for being here today. It's been a thank great, you guys. great time. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, you got a versatility behind that. He, he did get hot and heavy towards the end there. We need more choices. Yeah. And that's cool. I think that's coming. But, you know, we need empowerment. Uh, RanchNation.tv, thank you, my weekend warriors, KFNX and uh, 90.7, as well as my podcast family. You guys rock. As I tell you every week, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug McKenna. Hey, everybody, let's have some fun. You only live but once, and when you're dead, you're done. So let the good time roll.